Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Well, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Better Outcomes Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions. Well, this week we are taking a step back from technology and virtual care and hybrid models of care, and we're stepping into uh, clinical collaboration, integrated health, and the role of maybe alternative uh, medical supports and interventions for individuals with complex medical needs. My guest this week is Maribeth Mesenda. She is the program director for integrative health studies at uh, Mar- the Maryland University of Integrated Health. She's also a clinical pharmacist and a transitional care pharmacist. She works out of her own practice, um, and I think she mentions it in the show a little bit about herbalism and some of the roles of some of these alternative approaches for helping folks with chronic conditions and the like. I think it's what what I really enjoyed about uh, have this conversation with Mary Beth is not just that she's doing things that are different, not just that she's doing integrative care and she's doing alternative care, but she's a professor and an academic and she really speaks to the evidence behind what she does and how she does it, which I feel is one of the big things that's missing in that conversation a lot of times. You have, it happens even in traditional care or in quote unquote standard care, you've got a new treatment technique or a new uh, tool or device that comes out on the market and it gets widely adopted with very little understanding of the evidence behind it. Um, not that that's necessarily bad. Sometimes we find out that maybe it does work and, <laughs> and it's great. But it's, it's very important as a clinician who's making decisions that are affecting your patients' lives to be, one, aware of the alternatives or the options that are out there, and then, two, have a relatively firm understanding of the evidence that either supports or um, refutes some of those options. So... Hopefully you find this conversation insightful. I know I learned a whole lot speaking with Maribeth just about herbalism and alternative medicine. And she the, she lays the first little bit of our conversation having um, sort of a, a rundown of the, of the common terms and how they're used and what they mean. So hopefully that part in and of itself is uh, insightful to you. So without further ado, here's Maribeth Macenda talking about uh, herbalism uh, clinical pharmacy work, and more importantly, uh, integrated health studies. Well, hey, Mary Beth, welcome to the show. How are you? Great. Thank you so much, Rafi, for inviting me. I really appreciate uh, having this conversation today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So for those who might not know you, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do at the university. Sure. So currently I am the program director for integrative health studies 
Studies Department at Maryland University of Integrative Health, and I'm an assistant professor there as well. Uh, but, you know, I'm much more than that, as most people have yeah. multiple hats on, um, especially in the career that I am in. Uh, but I have uh, over 25 years as a health system pharmacist um, and uh, have spent a good number of years early on in my career overseas where I began to see where we needed to broaden our understanding and look at how um, you know, healthcare wasn't in our conventional healthcare wasn't meeting all the needs. I was in De Chapelle, Haiti, and that wow. kind of opened up some. Uh, this was during the time of when HIV was just starting to uh, show its head, yeah. and there was not a lot of pharma pharmacological treatments available. So we were really depending on some of the local healers to support patients because uh, we just really had nothing to offer. So this really kind of sparked my interest in seeing, you know, that there are other ways of healing. And uh, when I came back to the States, I still worked in pharmacy, but uh, did a lot of work with that intersection between nutrition and pharmacy. And I started to work in, uh, you know, developing programs for parental nutrition. And this really sparked some of my interest in finding those other intersections besides drugs. And this uh, led me to Maryland University of Integrative Health, where I got my certificate in medical herbalism, as well as a master's in nutrition and integrative oh, health. Wow. Yeah. So uh, in addition to that, I have a very small private practice where I'm trying to put into practice some of the things that I believe in around integrative health, and that is with a collaboration with a local traditional herbalist. And we do work together and get consent with her clients that we identify different red flags that might need, uh, you know, referral to a uh, conventional medicine practitioner. Um, and also potentially identifying potential drug herb interactions with her clients. So um, it's a it's a great collaboration. I, I love that that interaction that we have and uh, what she brings to the meeting and what I bring is is really kind of um, where I see healthcare. Yeah, well, and we're going to get into that a whole lot here in a little bit about how interprofessional communication can take place. But for those who might be, I guess, a little bit new to the idea of what is complementary and alternative medicine? Could you kind of shed some light on that? Kind of what is it? How is it used? And there is evidence behind it, right? Like I think when you hear, you know, complementary and alternative medicine, people are like, oh man, there's some some nut job from a blog talking about something, right? But there's there's real evidence and research to support some of these techniques, right? Yeah, so definitely I'm gonna go over and hopefully touch upon some of uh, those concepts that um, like evidence-informed practice. Yeah. But I do want to mention real quickly a disclaimer that like my views that I'm going to be talking about today uh, are mine and okay. don't necessarily reflect the views of Maryland University of Integrative okay. Health. So I just got to put that get in Get that there. out of the way, right? Yeah, get that out of the way. So, you know, when we talk about, um, you know, complementary and alternative medicine, you know, I think it's important that we have an understanding of some of these terms. They're used a lot in the marketplace and they're sometimes used interchangeably and we don't have some clear understanding. Um, so I think it's important sometimes to just step back and, and learn uh, a little bit about these terms. So, for example, the National Center of Complementary Integrative Health, it defines alternative medicine as non-conventional medicine that's used in place of conventional medicine. 
So that's when like the, you know, the acupuncturist is the only practitioner the patient's seeing and they're not using any other form of medicine. Um, in comparison, complementary medicine is when you're using non-conventional medicine along with, sorry, non-conventional medicine along with conventional medicine. So yeah. that's the patient who's seeing their primary care doctor, but it's also going to see an herbalist as well. You know, and so they might be using some herbs and they might be using some pharmaceuticals and, you know, uh, they're bringing those together and that's part of their healthcare regimen. But a yeah. new term that's coming up is integrative health. And integrative health describes this holistic understanding of health and well-being. Uh, it considers the, the whole person, the physical, the emotional, the social, and the spiritual domains of health and wellness. Um, it also considers a range of contributing factors like the environment the person lives in or their personal behaviors or even their genetics and their genes. Um, and it's really grounded in a approach of whole person and relationship centered approaches that support the collaboration between the patient and their healthcare team, whoever makes up that healthcare team. And so that could be conventional medicine practitioners, or it could be uh, alternative medicine or conventional medicine, sorry, complementary medicine practitioners. So it's this very much a team approach, an interprofessional approach where we are uh, working together with the patient and being patient-centered. Um, and it's really about also empowering that individual to become informed, to take their own personal responsibility, to tap into some of their own inner resilience and choose the best path and options that are, are right for them. And so this is where you know, we are starting to see this incorporation of evidence-informed practice and being able to tailor it to that individual. And so that's just some things to think about, about those different types of healthcare that are out there and emerging um, and showing up in the marketplace. So, yeah, I, I talk a lot. So I come from the, the physical dysfunction world as an OT, did upper extremity rehab for a lot of years, um, and now I have a practice that does it. And we talk a lot about, and I was pushing this at the university and as a teacher there too, about the importance of taking a biopsychosocial approach as opposed to just a general biomedical or like pathophysiological approach where something's wrong with the tissues and we fix that and you'll be fine, right? Because there's always something else at play. And you yeah. hit on that with this whole integrated idea too, that there's there's the environment, there's even the emotional and the spiritual aspect, which I, I feel like gets missed in a lot of healthcare, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's showing up, we see today, you know, with COVID, we're seeing that, you know, this is much broader than just a, a virus, you know, we're seeing uh, our communities who are struggling with isolation, and how yeah. the evidence is showing isolation has a negative impact on uh, health and well being. And so uh, we can even see it impacting uh, overall mortality rates. Um, so, you know, we're I think we're starting to realize that, you know, the people that we're working with and our whole people with yeah. a lot of diversity and a lot of, con you know, factors involved in their experience of health and well-being. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the whole pa patient-centered aspect where you're not just 
saying as patient-centered, but you're really, I like the word that you said, like we're empowering people to make the decisions for themselves Yeah, is super, super important because how many times does somebody walk into a, a clinic somewhere and they're being told by a doctor or a PA or something like, this is what's wrong with you. This is what you got to do. Now go do yeah. it and you'll be healthy, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think that's so important myself. And one thing that when I'm teaching my students about patient-centered care, I definitely include patient empowerment because I feel that having been in the healthcare setting as a pharmacist, I saw a lot of talk around patient-centered care that didn't really um, allow for the empowerment of the patient to be uh, an active participant in their own health and wellness. And so we would talk a lot about, you know, you know patient preference and, and patient respect, but we wouldn't talk about how would we go about empowering them. Um, and, and that means sometimes, you know, do they have access to the resources they need to be able to make the behavior changes they want to make, you know, or do yeah. they have uh, the skills? I, I like to use the example with my students around, uh, you know, wanting to, as a nutritionist, I want them to eat more fruits and vegetables. You know, that's great. Do they know it's how good to cook? Goal. Yeah, good goal. <laughs> but if we can give them knowledge, right? And that's what typically our conventional medicine system does is they might give a handout, right? Or give some information. Um, and that's good. That's important and essential. But we also have to need to teach them skills. Like, do they know how to cook those vegetables? Do they, you know? And then we have to bring awareness, you know, help them to build their own awareness about how do they feel when they eat fruits and vegetables? Do they recognize the shift and change in their own experience? And then we can't forget, do they have access to those fruits and vegetables? So to empower, it's, it's really essential and we have to think of those different components of a patient empowerment in order to fully uh, make it patient-centered. Otherwise, we're just giving them information. We're not really uh, empowering them to be an active yeah. person who's you know, going to be able to affect their own um, behavior change and, and move forward. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of research in that patient, patient education isn't just handing people a packet, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you, have to, you have to make sure learning is going to take place as exactly. well. <laughs> exactly. So I'm, I'm interested about this practice you got because one of, when you first said it, one of the first things that went through my head was, holy cow, how does, does insurance pay for this? Something like this. And it doesn't, right? No, it doesn't. Okay. So a lot of this is private pay. People yes. are just coming and having to, to fork over the bill for, for this type of work, right? Yeah. So, you know, and I am in a position that my primary job is teaching, right? And yeah. so um, I can give this local herb list a discount um, on my services to support her. Um, and in exchange, you know, my goal is to, you know, develop case reports that can be published that we can start exploring, you know, this intersection and what it looks like. Because until there is that evidence, right, no and, pay, and yeah. you know, we can't really demonstrate how impactful it will be. And so that's part of my goal for our keeping this relationship. And, yeah. and working through this relationship in addition to supporting our client um, and their own health journey. Um, so yeah, so there, it's not gonna be achievable for everyone and it's not a large scale. We can't you know, mass, mass manufacture this kind of model yet, um, but it's definitely, I think, a place where educators can start um, in order to start to build that evidence base. Yeah. Building the body of evidence to, to prove the value down the road, right? Exactly. 
Yep. Well, and then the other thing I wanted to ask you about was you mentioned, so you and the serverless get together and then you're having conversations sometimes with the other, other clinicians that might be involved. So I'm assuming that at, unless this clinician that you're talking with is very well versed in integrative medicine, might have maybe some different biases or some different thoughts. So what are some of the challenges that that kind of come up whenever you're talking about this kind of interprofessional collaboration, not just between clinicians in the biomedical realm of the world, but also when you're pulling in these integrative medical practitioners? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there are several uh, actually researched um, challenges that have been identified in interprofessional collaboration, and including uh, some studies that have looked at that relationship between the conventional medicine practitioner and the complementary medicine practitioner. And so there's a lot of information uh, focusing on what some of those areas of, of challenge are, are involved in. And before I go into some of them, I just wanted to say one of the things that I teach my students is the knowledge that collaboration is not something we all are born with. We have to learn it. And so I, I spend a lot of time exploring and teaching my students about what it means to collaborate um, and how what that looks like. And one of the things that we uh, explore is this, uh, you know, Tuckman talked about the phases of collaboration. And then yeah. and one of the second phase of collaboration is the storming phase. And that's where there can be conflict that can come up. And that conflict is working through that conflict that we can move beyond the individuals bringing their individual pieces into something that is, uh, you know, a shared goal and a shared vision and really a, the final something greater than the individual parts. And, and so I don't shy away from conflict, right? I think it's necessary. And so when you have different perspectives coming together, you're gonna have potential for conflict. And I think too often we judge collaboration on the absence of conflict. And yet we need that conflict yeah. if we really want to make something greater than the individual parts. Um, and so that's one thing that I think uh, I, I always teach my students not to shy away from that. I think we, we want to be respectful. We want to be open-minded. We want to be listening, but we also want to make sure we have a voice and that we are voicing our perspectives so that we can have these dialogues. And I think that's key. Um, some other things that come up uh, in, is communication. Um, and these can be challenges that range from setting aside time and processes to allow practitioners to actually have time to communicate. Uh -huh. um, a lot of our practices are, you know, have a hard time finding in their schedule time to do this interprofessional collaboration. And our complementary health practitioners are often on contracts in the practice. So they don't necessarily, they're not salaried employees. And we then are asking them to come in on their own time uh, to have case conferences and to collaborate. And this just isn't really always sustainable, right? Yeah, you're getting people in there that aren't, they're, they're not gonna be paid for unbillable time, right? Exactly. So that's a real barrier sometimes for allowing this kind of work in interprofessional collaboration and communication. Um, and another thing that I, I see coming up a lot is this shared medical record, right? Uh -huh. and, 
you know, how do these practitioners document and communicate through the shared medical record? And sometimes the current system is not providing the formatting that would allow for these diverse paradigms to actually document their way of assessing in a patient and their treatment plans. And I can give you an example here. So we can think of herbal medicine, for example. The herbalist typically would recommend a formula of various herbs in combination. And they really focus on valuing the synergy between the different chemicals within the herbs, as well as the different herbs in supporting the tissues within the body. Now, many electronic medical records that I've been working with have, they allow single drug entries, right? They're designed for the conventional medicine, which has single drug entries that have really complex and robust interactions with databases. So it can check for things like drug interactions. It can check for dosing. It can check for labs to see if there's anything we need to do for adjusting dose based on say kidney function or liver function. Um, but if we wanted to put a herbal formula in, it would be as a free text formula. And so oh, and it, it wouldn't can't calculate any of that it, stuff. Yeah, exactly. So we just bypass some of those system checks. Um, and another good example that's coming up right now too is there's a, a you know a need for documenting the diverse practices of complementary health practitioners and actually Dr. Ryan Bradley uh, from the National University of Natural Medicine he created this COVID-19 support registry which allows complementary medicine practitioners to document like case reports, you know, what's their experience with their clients uh, in how they're going about treating patients with COVID-19. And this registry is great, but it was really based on um, his naturopathic approach to assessing patients. And that, that model didn't always speak to other approaches, like how does the acupuncturist assess the patient and, and to go about documenting? Or how does somebody who practices Unami medicine go about doing that? And so um, Nadine and Jez and Barbara Wesson did this amazing work taking and expanding this database to allow a more whole systems re research approach or, or focus, and as well as going and getting in touch with some of those traditional practitioners uh, to see how they could adapt and allow the data entry to be in a way that would reflect their practice. And so it expanded this, this diverse conversation of how it would look to document, um, you know, for this case, the uh, support and care for patients who had COVID-19 uh, and how it would look different ways for different complementary health practitioners and different traditional medicine practitioners. So it was a, a great example of, you know, what it would take to have, you know, this uh, shared medical record that might look different for different yeah. practitioners. And be so able to, to document not only, not only just free text, but like you said, some of those checks and balances. I'm not a pharmacist by any means, but now I'm, I'm seeing the importance of holy cow, like this, this is all happening in the background. And we want to make sure that if you're putting something else into it, that it's being accounted for, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And there's another big one that I think is really central uh, for a challenge that we're encountering uh, when we're looking at the interprofessional collaboration between conventional medicine and these complementary health practitioners. And that is a respect for the different paradigms 
and explanatory uh -huh. models of illness and health. You know, uh, you know, they're bringing this together uh, and combining these approaches, but these approaches are very different. And there's increasing pressure to have traditional medicine practices, you know, change the way they practice and align their understanding of health and disease with conventional medicine, like fit into our model, they basically say. Yeah. And this kind of robs us of the depth of knowledge that we can gain from other perspectives. And I, I think a really great example of this is the work of Dr. Helene uh, Langvin, the director of the National Center of Complementary and Integrative Health. Her actual original research was with acupuncture and how it has helped us to more fully understand the role of the fascia in the body. You know, wow. this, we knew about fascia, every surgeon who's That's ever cut into a patient yeah. <laughs> knows fascia, right? But we didn't really understand the function. We knew the structure, but we didn't know what was happening with the fascia. And, and her work looking at the acupuncture needle and how the acupuncturist twists the needle and twists the fascia, and that sends communications throughout the entire network of the body. And, and so this is opening up new thoughts and new ideas of how you know the role of fascia. And we learned that through acupuncture. And this is now being applied to thinking about how yoga might work or how Qigong might work or Tai Chi. So this ability to see from a different perspective or a different angle to in order to help us to see the whole, I think is, is really um, an important aspect of interprofessional collaboration. It's not easy though, right? Yeah. We don't have uh, a lot of encouragement to uh, think out from a different perspective. You know, yeah. we, we're encouraged to think into the conventional medicine uh, model of care. Well, and how much of that is just because doctors, historically speaking, have always been kind of, medicine has been hierarchical, right? And the doctors have kind of been at the top directing care. Yep. And we're, we're really moving into a, an age of medicine, if you would, where direct access is happening. People are seeking other forms and other disciplines and specialties. And we're, we're now needing to learn to come to the table, kind of the round table, as opposed to this pyramid. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. And it's true, you know, we're trying to bridge that. And I know many complementary health uh, medical schools, you know, like acupuncture schools are teaching their students the language and paradigm of biomedicine in order to interact better. Uh -huh. And some of the medical schools are starting to teach and incorporate some of this language of traditional medicine as well. Uh, but we need to do a lot more of it. There is actually an interesting study that showed that when the conventional medicine practitioners actually, uh, you know, looked at and the differences between the different perspectives around complementary and integrative health, um, they actually referred to more practitioners. So the more they learned about them, the more they referred. And I think uh, this really um, is, is something that we need to be spending more time teaching each other about what we do and how our philosophies, I think that's gonna be, make a big difference. But I'd also mention that, you know, not all the complementary medicine practitioners know each other's language yeah. and paradigm too. <laughs> so, you know, the acupuncturist doesn't always know the nutritionist approach or the, the uh, Ayurvedic medicine approach. So we, uh, there's room for growth on all sides. <laughs> yeah, I know that, 
like in the university when I was uh, teaching at the occupational therapy department, they were very big on interprofessional education and we we're going to do this and that. And we we're going to, but it still was very much within that biomedical framework, right? Even, even the interprofessional education that was happening was still within this kind of old paradigm of looking at healthcare and, and looking at health and well being. Yeah. Yeah. An example of that is, you know, the patient who's going and seeing their, their regular doctor and the doctor knows, oh, there's a lot of a uh, lot more work to do to to kind of broaden that conversation. Yeah, I think. a lot of that stems from, like you said, we, there's a lot of work to be done in the interprofessional education on all sides, right? Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Mary Beth, thanks for taking the time with us. If you could give our listeners kind of one or two main bullet points that you'd want them to walk away with, what would they be? Oh wow. So I guess, you know, having those open conversations and the openness to explore that there are other ways of viewing health and well-being, I think that is a starting point for all practitioners um, to see where we can offer something to the whole, um, where we can offer our unique um, approaches to supporting patients' health and well-being. I think that's a big one. Um, I guess... Uh, what else could I offer them? I think uh, the other would be um, just finding opportunities to, uh, to have conversations with people. I think the more we talk about this, the more uh, it's going to come into clearer light as to how we can all fit together and work together. I think that's going to be big. Yeah, I've always said that healthcare at its basic level is is built on relationships. And it's not just with the relationships between the clinician or the practitioner and the patient, but it's also the, cl the, the clinician to clinician or clinician to practitioner relationships, right? Mm -hmm, so, absolutely. Yeah. And I would think, can I just offer one example that we had an experience of this um, at our university? We had our students going out to a local hospital to offer yoga therapy to uh, patients on orthopedic floor. And, you know, the doctors were really resistant. They're like, no way, you guys aren't coming in. Because uh, all <laughs> they could know is they, they saw the media image of yoga, you know, where yeah. people were twisted into pretzels. And it's like, no, you're not doing like, that no, to my No, you're not doing patients. that to my knee, no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when we got our, our yoga therapist in and just sat down and talked about what yoga really would bring, about how it would focus on breath, mindfulness and also supported postures uh, that are based on assessment of the patient suddenly you know they were like oh yeah we want that <laughs> we really do want that and the next thing they knew people from other floors were going up to the orthopedic floor and grabbing the yoga therapist bring them stealing them and bring yeah, them down yeah. other floors because they suddenly started to understand what they could bring to the support of their patients and so uh, i think having these conversations are really important well, yeah. Well, thanks very, very much for uh, spending the time with us. If Absolutely. people want to find you and your work, where can they do that? So I'm definitely, you can reach me at Maryland University of Integrative Health. That's where I do most of my work. I do have my private practice at Bridges to Wellness, um, and we can share out that link for people if they're interested. Cool deal. Well, thank you very much. Have a good one. All right. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with uh, Mary Beth about integrated health, alternative uh, treatment options, and 
having conversations. I think that's one of the biggest takeaways that I had after listening to the show again and just reviewing some of the offline conversation that I had with Mayor Beth was really the importance of having open dialogue and discussion with not just colleagues in the in the traditional sense of healthcare where we've got you know maybe a, a physical therapist an occupational therapist or an orthopedic surgeon and a primary care physician having a discussion but really having discussions across the broad spectrum of healthcare again assuming that we're all operating from this desire to provide the best quality care to our patients which at least in my mind involves following the evidence and the clinical research but it is important to have open discussions, even if those discussions may challenge our cognitive biases. I know that a few episodes ago, we had Zach Walston from PT Solutions on, and we talked about cognitive biases and how um, they can affect our decision-making as clinicians. And one of the big ones that affects everybody, I don't care who you are, it is very difficult to have an open conversation with with somebody who might hold an opposing viewpoint without feeling defensive about it. So the big takeaway that I had from listening again to, to Mary Beth talk about it is that it is so vitally important for us as clinicians to be always one, always learning, always seeing what's out there as far as the alternatives and the options for our patients, but then also to be open to the idea that perhaps um, we might be holding a viewpoint that is incorrect or maybe even um, not necessarily mutually exclusive with some alternative solutions out there. So anyways, that's all I've got to say about that. If you like the show, if you like what we're doing here, head on over to iTunes, give us a rating and re review. It would mean a lot. Or you can head on over to www.betteroutcomes.show. You can sign up there for notifications whenever we drop a new episode. We tend to drop them every other Wednesday with a bonus one coming out every now and then when, uh, when I find the time to look back and either chop up old, old clips and, and put them together or just a bonus interview with folks. Um, but that can be found at uh, www.betteroutcomes.show or you can go to rehabupracticesolutions.com slash uh, podcast. I think we'll take you there. Um, other than that, that's all I've got to say. If you do run a healthcare organization, you're a clinic owner, you're an administrator, and you want to acquire, engage, and retain more patients so that you can increase your revenue, decrease your no-shows and your cancellation rate, and deliver better outcomes and higher patient satisfaction to your clients and your patients, then I'd recommend that you go check out the Ultimate Patient Experience Blueprint. It's one of our processes here at Rehab U Practice Solutions. You can find that at rehabupracticesolutions.com slash UPE. That's UPE as in Ultimate Patient Experience. And in this blueprint, we walk you through uh, positioning and market message refinement. We move to patient relationship mapping. So how do you communicate with patients based off their uh, stage with you in their life cycle with your organization? And we help you develop processes and frameworks for 
both communicating with external stakeholders, internal stakeholders, prospective patients, and ultimately we help you build in what we call the value framework. So how you can have a value discussion with those patients so that you can get them bought into their treatment plan or their plan of care so that they'll be one, engaged through their treatment plan. So they'll get higher patient satisfaction, better clinical outcomes, and that they'll show up to their appointments, which is ultimately what we want, right? If they're not showing up to their appointments, they're not getting better. So if that sounds interesting to you or something you want to learn more about, head on over to www.rehabupracticesolutions.com slash UPE to learn more. Or you can shoot an email to support at rehabupracticesolutions.com and schedule a quick time to get together and we'll chit chat about your clinic, your organization, and how we might be able to help. Uh, Until the next time, guys, be safe, be healthy. I'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to The Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www rehabupracticesolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.